This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. Um, have, you guys, uh, have, you ever, have you ever seen like before and after pictures? Have you ever seen dramatic before and after pictures? Do you know what I'm talking about? You see something before and then it takes on a transformation and then you see the after picture. Um, look, look at this one. We found somebody's car this week. That's the back seat. Can you see it? Some of you are like, my car needs a transformation, you know, right? Um, look at this house. Look at this, look at this house. It's like, whoa. It's like, how's that even possible? You know, it's like, well, they just like bulldoze the whole thing. It's like, I'm not even sure how that works there. Some of you are like, is that, is that right? The windows look different on the right side of that house. Look at the, this next house. Oh. Some of you are like, I have a vision for our house now, for 2023, right? All right, this is one of my favorite ones, though. Look at this. Look at this. Whoa. Quite the transformation, isn't it? You know, they say a picture speaks a thousand words. And as we look in Ephesians 2, what we see is that when Jesus steps into our life, he transforms everything. And I want us to see this. There's like Jesus brings the ultimate before and after. And let's look at it together in Ephesians chapter 2, picking up in verse 1. We'll read through uh, verse 7 together. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church at Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, and this is what he writes. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Just bow your heart before the Lord. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey today, would you just say, God, speak to me personally, quietly, silently, right where you are. God, speak to me personally. Father, we are listening. Speak, O Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we see Paul writing to the Christians, writing to the followers of Jesus, and describing to them the ultimate before and after that's taken place. At the end of the sermon this morning, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. And Holy Communion is meant for those that are followers of Jesus, those that have turned from their sin and turned to Jesus and trusted in him. And so you may be here this morning, and you may not be sure if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not yet sure, rather than coming and taking Holy Communion, I'm going to be standing right here. I want you to come and talk to me. And let's talk and figure out, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a Christian? And what we'll see in our text this morning is that we don't become a Christian by self-labeling ourselves as a Christian. That's not how we become 
a follower of Jesus. And what we see here is this ultimate before and after in how Jesus changes our life. So I want you to see this. Well, the first thing that we see uh, is our before, is our old state. Our old state. Now, what I don't mean is the state that you lived in before you moved to Tennessee. But that concept kind of helps us to understand what I'm talking about. So it's not the state that you lived in before you moved to Tennessee, but it is the state of being that you lived in. The state of your existence. The state of your reality. And let's look at what he says in verse 1. He says, and you were dead. There it is. Stop right there. That was our state before Jesus stepped into our life. We were dead. What does he mean dead? Well, he uses very intentionally this image to reinforce a spiritual truth. And the spiritual truth is that we were incapable of any spiritual fruit. That was our spiritual state, is that we were incapable of anything good that honored God. That's what it meant to be dead. Notice he didn't say you were bad. Listen, people get Christianity wrong all the time when they think, well, Christianity is I'm bad and God wants me to be better. That's not the gospel. The, the, the gospel, as we'll see in this text, is we were dead, and God in his grace made us alive. What does it mean that we were dead? Well, it means that we were incapable, but it also means we were unresponsive. So you know when there's a tragic accident, they come and they check for a what? A pulse. Is there any response, anything that resembles life in their body? And he's describing our spiritual state, and he said it was dead. Listen, some of you think that you're a Christian this morning, but you're actually spiritually dead. I've got good news. But you've got to come to terms with that reality that you, you may think you're a Christian, but you're actually spiritually dead. Where did this death come from? Well, look at verse 1 with me again. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in your what? Trespasses and sins. So we've all seen those little signs like no trespassing, right? Some of you got them up in your yard, right? And what it means is, is like beyond this sign, don't go forward, right? Because if you do, I might come out with my gun, right? Or I might let my dog out for a little lunch, you know? (laughs) Don't trespass, right? Don't go past this sign. And what it means in the scripture is that God's given us his loving law, his protective boundaries, and we've we've all gone past them. You know, the, the, the Bible in the Old Testament says don't commit adultery. But Jesus said if you, if you lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. It, the Old Testament law says um, thou shalt not commit murder. But, but Jesus said if you, if you hate, you've already murdered in your, in your heart. So it's like God has all these like protective trespassing signs, you know, like for our good. And we just go barreling right past them. That's what it means, our trespasses. Well, he says, he says you're dead in your trespasses and sins. So what is sin? Well, sin is any thought, attitude, word, or deed that goes against God in his ways. Sin is any thought, word, attitude, or, or deed that goes against God in his ways. And so Paul's writing and he says, you were dead. Your, spirit, your old spiritual state, Christians, was dead because of your sin. He wrote it this way in Romans uh, 8. Paul wrote, he says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Do you remember the story of Adam and Eve in the garden? Um, God gave them this amazing Eden, like this beautiful, blissful place. And he set one no trespassing sign. There's the tree. He says, of this tree, do not eat. The tree of good and evil, do not eat. And he says, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, if you've read through the story, you know as soon as, 
As soon as they took and ate of the, the fruit, they didn't drop dead. So, so, what, so what happened? Well, as soon as they ate of it, spiritual death came into their world, and, and their bodies began to physically die, a process. In other words, listen, you may have never thought about this, but if Adam and Eve had not sinned, death would have never come into the world. In other words, God intended for life to be what existed. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to bring about the death of death. Jesus came to reverse death, to give us life, because God never intended for death to be what reigned. He intended for life to be what ruled and reigned. And he told Adam and Eve, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. In other words, our spiritual state of death came through our sin. It came through Adam's sin, and then it came through our sin. Paul says, because all have sinned. That's our state of being before Jesus steps into our life. It's an old state. Well, not only do we have an old state, we had old influences. Look at verse 2 with me. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Verse 2, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Let me just break this down for us real quickly. Paul says you were following the course of this world. What does that mean? That means it's the world's value system. And the world's value system is self. It's promoting self. It's getting self ahead. It's getting revenge for self. It's building a name for self. It's not service. It's self. That's the way the world thinks. The, the, the values of the world is a godless value. We don't need God. We don't want God. We're not worshiping God. It's about self. It's the way the world thinks. Now, what Paul was describing to the Christians is he said, I want you to understand that before Jesus stepped into your life, you were influenced. Your old influences were the value system of the world. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to explain these other influences, and he said, following, look at verse 2, Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Well, who, who and what is that? Well, he explains it. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So that's not the Holy Spirit. That's the satanic spirit. He says you were following the prince of the power of the air. Now, now some of you are like, really? I was following? Listen, the devil is so subtle in his schemes that he would love for you to be beating to his drum without you realizing it. The, the devil would love for you to be living for yourself and living for him without you realizing it because if you realized it, you would probably be alarmed by it. If you, if you knew that the influence on your life was a satanic, demonic influence, you would probably be a little uncomfortable by that regardless of what you believed about Jesus. You probably wouldn't be real comfortable. And Paul said, listen, the old influences of your life were the values of the world, and you were, you were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who's at work in, in the sons of disobedience. And then he gives a third influence. Look at this with me in verse 3. He says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. 
So here he introduces a third influence, and the third influence is the flesh. And when I was a kid, this was so confusing to me because I knew what flesh meant. Flesh is like my skin and what's under my skin, like my flesh. And I couldn't understand. So let me just try to break it down to you. God uses this word in the sacred scriptures, the flesh, to describe our old nature, our natural nature, the nature that we're born into the world with. It's not a supernatural nature. It's a natural nature. And he uses the word flesh to describe our natural nature. And our natural nature is a sinful nature. And he says, says, before Jesus stepped into your life, before you turned and trusted in him, you were influenced by the world, you were influenced by the devil, and you were influenced by the desires of your body and mind, the flesh. This is the way you were walking. And then he says, we also had an old future. Look at this with me in verse 3. He says, among whom... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were, look at this phrase, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Now, what is wrath? Well, God's wrath is not like our wrath. Our wrath, when you you hit your finger with a hammer, your wrath spews out, right? When your child shows up, an hour and a half late of curfew comes out, right? And, and our wrath is like a roller coaster. But God's wrath, listen, God's wrath is his steady commitment against, his steady committed anger against sin. It's God's steady committed anger against sin. It's a pure and holy committed anger against sin. I ask people all the time, um, what do you need to be saved from? And a lot of times people will say, well, sin. And it's like, well, that, that's, that's part of it. And what about your sin do you need to be saved from? Well, I need to be saved from sin's power. I need to be saved from sin's penalty. Yes, yes, yes. What do you need to be saved from? Maybe you've never thought about that question. What do you need to be saved from? What do we need to be saved from? We need to be saved from God. Because in our natural state, our future home, our future reality, we're a child of wrath. Because of our sin, God's steady anger is set against us because of our our sin. And we need to be saved from God into a relationship with God. We need to be saved from God's wrath. And what Paul is doing is he's writing to explain to the Christians this was your life before Jesus came in. Now, how many of you, by show of hands, participation required here, all right? How many of you, by show of hands, became a Christian at age 11 or younger? Raise your hand, raise it high. Raise it high. Look around. Lots of us. A lot of us became a Christian at age 11 or younger. Now, I run into people all the time that became a Christian when they were young, and this is the way they tell about their story. They're like, yeah, I became a Christian when I was 10, so, you know, my testimony is not that impressive. Or, you know, I became a Christian when I was seven, and I, I really don't have that great of a story. And what they're thinking was, you know, I, like, I wasn't strung out on drugs, and I wasn't, like, sleeping around, and I wasn't, like, killing anybody, and I don't have, like, one of these amazing testimonies that everybody's just wowed by. Really? Like, you were following the prince of the air, Satan himself? Listen, we we come and we gather and we sing these songs, but half the time our heart is engaged and half the time our heart is not moved. 
We come and we sing these songs, and some days we're fired up for Jesus, but other days we're apathetic. We sing the song Amazing Grace, but many days we don't feel like his grace is that amazing. And it's because we don't understand our state, our former state. We were dead. We were dead. We don't understand our former influences. We were influenced by Satan. We were following his ways. And you're like, really? Yeah, he's so deceitful. He just pulls the blinders over our eyes without us even realizing it. So listen, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you have an amazing, miraculous story to tell. What's, what's my story? Well, I had a terrible state. I was dead. And I had terrible influences, the world and the flesh and, and the devil. And I had a terrible future. In other words, my identity determined my destiny, and I was a child of wrath. Look, look back at verse 3 again. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. So he's saying this is our identity. We were a child of wrath, and our identity determined our destiny. It was not going to be heaven before Jesus stepped in. Our destiny was hell before Jesus stepped in. But look at verse 4. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You've been saved. So now we have new, now we have new influences. What are our new influences? Look at verse 4. But God, <laughs> God is our new influence. In other words, when we were going our merry way, God spoke to us. God convicted us of sin. God woke us up to the reality of our need for Jesus. It was God that did it. So God is a new influence, but look on at verse 4. But God being rich in mercy. So it was God and it was his mercy. Now his mercy is a new influence in our life. No longer the flesh, no longer the devil, no longer the world. We have these new influences because of the great love with which he loved us. Now we're influenced by God's love. You know, listen, some of you, you're carrying a pain so deep, the only thing that will ever heal it is the love of God. And it's by his spirit being poured out into your life that that pain can be healed by God's love, by that influence. It's God, his mercy, and his love. Listen, some of you this morning, you're sitting there and you're hearing everything that I'm saying, but your heart is so hard. You're so hard. Maybe it's a bitterness of what was done to you. Maybe it's a bitterness of you don't want your parents telling you what to do. Maybe it's a bitterness of you just don't like, you're just not into this. Your heart is so hard. But the love of God, the love of God can soften your hard heart this morning. Because he sees you just as you are and he loves you still. You might be hiding all these things from all these people, but he sees it all. And he loves you you. So we have these new influences, God, his mercy, and his love. Look at verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. In other words, God didn't look at us and go, I really think they've got a lot of potential, you know. I mean, when I size them up, you know, next to everybody else, they're doing pretty good. No, no, no. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he loved us. He made us alive together with Christ. Friends, we don't make ourselves alive. And we're not, listen, we're not alive spiritually because we self-declare to be a Christian. When God made us alive, Paul's describing the, this sovereign work of God where he touches us by his spirit. 
Uh, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. That's what's happening here. Is the Holy Spirit convicting the world of sin? Theologians like to use the word regeneration, where the Spirit of God touches the heart, quickens the Spirit, and touches our spirit in a way that makes us alive. So we're no longer in a, a spiritual state of death that's unresponsive and incapable. But now we're in a spiritual state of living that trusts Christ and follows him and experiences love and his mercy and, and his grace. So we have new influences, but we have a new state. Look at verse 5 with me. A new state. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us what? Alive. That's our new state. We're alive. We're alive spiritually. We're no longer dead. There's a pulse. There's a spiritual pulse. There's evidence that the Holy Spirit is in our life. Friends, is there evidence that the Holy Spirit is alive in you? Is there evidence of that? He says, by grace you've been saved. And then look at, look at this new state, verse 6. And he raised us up with him. In other words, Jesus died, he was buried, and then he rose from the dead. And it's through Jesus' resurrection that we can now have a spiritual resurrection. It's by his spirit he's raised us up with him. But that's not all. Look at, look at our state. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, what's the significance of this? Jesus died, he rose, he appeared to hundreds, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father and sat down. What's significant about that? Well, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. But in the Old Testament, the priests would make sacrifices. And the priests never sat down. Because as the author of Hebrews says, the blood of goats and bulls were not sufficient to cleanse sin. So the priests are always doing these sacrifices to make atonement for sin. But the author of Hebrews says it was never enough. That's why they never sat down. Their job was never over. They had to continually make sacrifices for sin because it was never enough. Then Jesus comes. He dies. And on the cross, he cried out, it is Finished. Every sacrifice that needed to be made for sin was done. Jesus was buried and he rose from the dead showing us his sacrifice was sufficient. He rose to, he, he ascended to the right hand of the Father and what did he do? He sat down. <laughs> he sat down. What's he doing right now? He's sitting. <laughs> because everything that needed to be done to pay for your sin and mine. It's done. The work is done. Some of you, you're, you're trying to please God, thinking that if you can just do it good enough, long enough, you know, smart enough, whatever enough, you might be able to appease him. You can't appease him, but Jesus did for you and me. Jesus did. On the cross, that's what he did. So that's the significance of, look, so, so what's our new state of being? What's our new state? We're alive. We're raised up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we work, not because we have to, but because we get to. We, we get up on our feet to serve Jesus. Not to try to impress God, but because we're already seated. The work is already done. So it's our joy, it's our great privilege, it's our pleasure. We serve him out of love, not out of a place of impressing him or... Isn't that beautiful? So that's our state. We're alive. We're seated in the heavenly places. So what's our new future? Look at verse 7. Jesus did all this. He made us alive so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us 
in Christ Jesus. You know the Bible says, no, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man has imagined what God has for those that love him. You know the Bible says that? And, and, and here Paul, he's like, Paul's like, I don't even have language to describe how good it is. He says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches. You can't measure it, the goodness of God. Some of you are like, is this all there is? Because if this, all there, if, if this is all there is in Christianity, I'm just not yet sure. It's not all there is. <laughs> it's not all there is. Jesus did all of this to secure a new future for us, a new destiny for us, a new forever for us. And our new forever in the new heavens and new earth will be one where there will be no tears from our eyes. It will be infinite, ever-increasing joy. That will be our experience. And did you know when sin came into the world, God cursed work? And he said, you'll now work by the sweat of your brow. So that, <laughs> you hear this statement, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life? That's silliness because the Bible says every job in every place, everywhere you go has the sweat of the brow. Every job has frustration, but in the new heavens and new earth, no frustration to our work. Pure bliss, pure joy, pure enjoyment will never strike our thumb with a hammer. We're going to hit the nail every single time. Isn't that amazing? So we have new influences and we have new state and we have new future. So if you're, if you're like, man, I, didn't, I don't think I've got a, a great story. Well, you had not been listening to the sermon, have you? <laughs> I've got a great story. Because my old state, it was rough. Pull that car back up. Pull that car back up. Listen, if you became a Christian when you were seven years old, that top is what your life looked like before you became a Christian, and the bottom is what your life looked like after you became a Christian. You had an old state, you had old influences, and you had an old future, and Jesus changed it all. So now you have a new influence, God, his love, his mercy, a new state, alive, seated at the right hand of the Father, and a new future, the immeasurable riches of his grace, kindness, the eternal kindness of the infinite God, that's our future. God loves to be kind to his children. You know, sometimes, like I just, I, just, I just want the scripture to come alive, so I just try to pull these images to help us, to help reinforce these biblical truths. And, and the image that came to my mind was, you know, those, you know those wacky like gumbo guys that you fill them with air and they dance around? You know what I'm talking about? You've seen it. It's like trying to get people's attention, you know, on a car lot or whatever it is, you know. Um, I just thought, wouldn't it be great if I had a video of like one of those things in a, in a state with no air in it? And, and then with air in it. And, you know, it's, it's like God breathed air into Adam and Eve's nostrils, right? It's like the spirit of God. The ruah of God is the, it's like the breath of God. Look at, look at, this, look at this video. The yellow one is six feet and the blue one is 20 feet. Now their switch, I'm going to show you where the switch is. The switch is on the blower. So... If they're off, they won't, they won't come on. So they're wacky, waving, blue, more, and playing to them. Turn them on. There's a switch. It's off right now. You turn them on, though. There's a six-feet-tall one. So you get the idea if they just flop around. Dance. Can, you just, can we just hold it right there? They dance and flail their you just arms. Hold, can you push pause on that video? Look at that. Look at that. 
I feel like, what a, what a beautiful picture of the Christian life, right? Oh, I'm falling in sin. Oh, the Spirit strengthens me, right? It's like, oh, I'm so sad today. Oh, the Spirit comforts me, right? It's like, I don't know if I'm going to make it today. Thank you, God. I'm okay, right? It's like, anybody feel like that's your, like, your whole life? Oh, like in my flesh today. The Spirit empowers me, right? I kind of like this as a picture of what ought to be happening in worship. You know what I mean? Like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. And I can't help but to think, like, like, do we not know that, like, we were following Satan and the Spirit of God made us alive in Christ, and now we've got the influence of God's love and God's mercy on our life. We're seated in the heavenlies with Jesus. Hello? I think we ought to be lifting our hands and dancing like the little, you know, if we got the Spirit of God blowing in us, we ought to be dancing a little bit in worship. But some of us are like that blue one. And some of us actually are like the blue one because we've only up until now in our life been a self-declared Christian. But we're still dead in our sins. And the good news today is that you can be made alive together with Jesus. If you sense the Spirit of God speaking to your heart, he's convicting you of your sin and you can open your heart by faith, receive him and trust him as your Lord and Savior. Be made alive. Be made alive have a new future, new influences, new state, why would you not want to trust in Jesus? But some of you, you've got to kind of overcome that, well, everybody thinks I'm a Christian, everybody but God. Everybody thinks I'm a real follower of Jesus, everybody but Jesus. But that can change today. Do you sense him speaking to you? Here's, here's, here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, we're going we're to stand to our feet and we're going to celebrate Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper. This is a meal for Christians, those that are genuine followers of Jesus. And they're going to come up these aisles and they're going to take the bread representing Jesus' crucified body for us. They're going to dip it in the cup representing his blood shed for us. And they're going to celebrate that they're seated in the heavenlies. They're going to celebrate that the love of God and the mercy of God is resting on their life. They're going to celebrate that they have a new future, the immeasurable riches of Christ. But if you're not sure yet, if that's your future, and you want to nail that down today, I'm going to just stand right over here. Come on. Come talk to me. Come talk to me. Let's talk. Let's pray. Let's get that nailed down, and then you can celebrate communion. So come on. Right on, church. Right on. Father, we pray, oh God, break us free from our apathy. Help us to see the wonders of your love today. Thank you, oh God, that you brought about the the most incredible before and after picture in us through Jesus. And as we come to Holy Communion today, if we're, if we're battling to believe, as we, put the, as we put the juice-soaked bread in our mouth, oh God, would you stir faith in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. So you come as you're ready and enjoy Holy Communion. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.